0: This is the Canadian Taxpayers Podcast. We're dedicated to lower taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. I'm here with my friend and colleague, Federal Director Franco Terrazano. Franco, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I am doing so good. You know, I'm finally in Ottawa. The move is finally over. I'm actually in our CTF office here in Ottawa. We do have a small one in here. So you know what, Simmer? I am doing awesome. I'm doing real good. I'm super happy to be here. But... I'm not doing as good as those big old headphones you got on your head.
0: (laughs) I know. Okay. So full (laughs) disclosure, my mic cracked out and it's not working. It's usually a really good one. It's a Sony, but it's not working right now. So I'm rocking my Princess Leia headphones. It looks good. It looks good. Thanks. You're good at kind of telling the truth. All right, bear with me here while I've got my crazy headphones on. Uh, I ordered them special because they're pink and they're pretty. Um, We've got a lot to talk about today on the show, of course. Uh, We're going to do a deep dive into one of my favorite topics. It's actually a sugar tax, and we need to keep a close eye on that here in Canada because we have an experience of one here in British Columbia. And in Waste Watch, we're going to talk about uh, the feds already spending more than a million bucks on Trudeau's gun grab without having grabbed a single gun yet how does that even happen just add government but first honestly you've made a huge move i know what it's like to move across the country you move from alberta to ottawa how are you doing do you have your bed do you have your cat like what's happening
1: yep the cat is still alive which is probably the most important thing my girlfriend works up north so she's not back just yet so my number one priority is making sure that cat stayed alive or I wouldn't be staying alive. And yeah, we finally got the, finally got a bed. So thank you, shout out to Canadian Tire and your camper cot. Yeah, it was pretty comfy, uh, but happy to finally have my bed back.
0: Uh, We were talking about this offline last week and I said, are y'all set to go? I was mother handing him. And he said, yeah, I'm going to get an air mattress. And I said, yeah, (laughs) you have a cat. Air mattress ain't going to cut it. You'll have an air mattress Uh, for like 30 seconds. So I'm glad you're enjoying your cot. Things are going well here. Uh, Harley, my husband, he has a huge commute every single day. So I'm trying to hold down the fort while doing this to two kids. So it's working okay so far. Um, But as far as work stuff goes, you've got your hands full there in Ottawa. And just recently, we saw Prime Minister Trudeau appoint a brand new Governor General. Her name is Mary Simon. And... I was thinking after what's happened with the last governor general a lot of folks don't have a lot of trust and confidence in Rideau Hall anymore and that's too bad because while it's mostly symbolic they play a big role they are the Queen's representative here in Canada you got to be able to trust that office and I was thinking one of the ways of doing that uh, is for them to rein in spending is there any way for them to actually get that under control there you think
1: well, you know, now would be really the perfect time to do that, right? And this is something that we've been uh, banging the drum on for for quite a long time. And and really, it's long past time for the Governor General to get its perks reined in. I mean, uh, Simmer, I mean, we cover crazy government benefits all the time. And the Governor General perks are some of the craziest that I've ever seen, which I think is actually saying quite a lot. So we do have a petition now on taxpayer.com calling for the Governor General perks to be reined in. And here's what I'm talking about when I talk Talk about these crazy government perks. You have a pension, which is extremely lavish, right? We did a calculation for five former governor generals. Well, if they continue to collect their pension to the age of 90, They're going to pocket $18 million, $18 million in pensions for potentially those five governor generals. And just on that train of thought, remember, former governor general, Julie Payette, she only served for a little over three years. She could still pocket more than 4 million smackers through that pension, right now, on top of the pension, you have an expense account that these former, former, Governor generals can still keep billing us taxpayers more than $200,000 every year, including up to six months after they pass on absolutely crazy and all of those perks are on top of that $300,000 per year salary that they get while in office so that definitely needs to be reined in. Now simon there's a- another thing that I want to touch on just another update for our listeners you know we have been talking about this global tax cartel that' yes, global
0: just one sec this is a real thing. <laughs> When you first yeah. told me about this, I'm like, what website are you listening to? No, this is a yep. real thing, folks. So pay attention to what Franco's saying here.
1: Yep, yep. Did not come up with that in my basement. <laughs> it is a real thing, this global tax cartel. So essentially what's going on is, is you have these powerful politicians in the Western world, predominantly where this idea started, that want a minimum business tax across the globe. It is a global cartel. Um, and so where it is right now is we have the G20 finance ministers, they've agreed to move forward with the global tax cartel. Now, it's not a done deal. It's not a done deal. You still got to get the prime ministers and the presidents of these countries to actually agree again. They're going to be meeting in October to to try to push this agenda forward. And, um, you know, after that, still not a done deal. They do have to figure out ways to, to actually formalize this tax cartel into their law. Now, what is important to remember, yes, it's not actually a thing just yet. They're working on it and we have to fight back because what this tax cartel does is it erodes tax competition, which may be the single biggest safeguard to actually keep our taxes lower. Right? Uh, I just remember in the early 2000s, then former finance minister Paul Martin, he reduced business taxes in Canada. And one of the reasons why was tax competition.
0: Yes, exactly. And that's why this is so hard to believe, because it's so dumb. I mean, this would hurt. You know, there's my official economics (laughs) take on this thing. It's dumb. It wouldn't work. And it would make everything more expensive. And it would reduce the competitiveness between countries. So that's why it's hard to believe it's even happening. And for folks who say, well, it's not yet. No, 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 no. (laughs) bad ideas never die they just scurry off and hide in a bureaucrat's desk drawer until the next time around and then they get worse and worse it's like feeding gremlins after midnight it's going to get even worse so folks need to pay attention to this because there's a slippery slope element here if they get through a minimum corporate tax rate around the globe who's to say what other kind of taxes they aren't going to impose on this in fact here this is really interesting this is a quote from France's finance minister. In translation, they said, quote, this is a starting point. In the coming months, we will fight to ensure that this minimum corporate tax rate is as high as possible, end quote. So the International Monetary Fund, yeah, the bureaucrats there, they're now proposing a minimum international carbon tax. Knock us over with a feather. Not surprised at all. So we really need to keep a close eye on this thing. Franco, I'm glad you're there in Ottawa and keeping your thumb on that pulse. We need to keep a close eye on this. But speaking of taxes and really dumb taxes, (laughs) let's jump on to the tax hike that we all need to stay vigilant about, on our guard against, and that's sugar taxes. Okay, so it is time for our deep dive, but just a quick note. We have a CTF store online now. Yes, if you always wanted a taxpayer's t-shirt or a ball cap or even a onesie for your baby, that future (laughs) taxpayer, uh, you can go get one of those now. So you can go to our website, taxpayer.com, join the army and tell your friends. And hey, if we fly the flag, we might gather more troops, right? And this is how we're going to fight back. So make sure you head on over to our website and we'll even give you 15% off. Go to our show notes grab that coupon, get the promo code, and you can get 15% off. So, okay, Franco, sugar taxes. Speaking of coupons, uh, folks who are listening, if you consume sugar in any way, shape, or form, you better start stocking up on those coupons. Because if you have a sweet tooth, the government is coming for your wallet. What is going on with sugar taxes?
1: Yeah, we really have to be on guard with this one, Simra. I mean, uh, Newfoundland and Labrador right now is looking at imposing a 20 cents per liter soda tax. And and to all our listeners out there, I know what you're thinking. Well, I'm not in Newfoundland, poor suckers over there, but it ain't going to hurt me well, hold on to your wallets and hold on to that can of Coke because there's also special interest groups that are pushing for similar types of food taxes, drink taxes in Quebec, in Ontario, in Alberta, just to name a few. So yeah, enjoy those uh, extra large double-doubles while you still can. And let's make sure we fight these sugar taxes.
0: Yeah, for sure. We already have one now, uh, ostensibly here in British Columbia. So for the longest time, uh, most sweetened beverages uh, didn't have a PST on them here in BC. And that's a 7% tax here in British Columbia. So for years and years, they're just simply considered food, like most food. But they, of course, sniffed around and realized they could get revenue from it. So about a year or so ago, they put that into the budget. There's a brand new tax on sweetened beverages. It's 7%. And they're going to be taking in, I think it was just over $2 million per year from this thing, once it's up and running. Now, this is what's super weird, is that it doesn't apply to just, say, a can of Coke. So it doesn't just apply to this, it applies to this, too, which is sweetened with stevia. There's zero sugar Mm -hmm. in this, but it's still getting a sugar tax just add government. So do be on guard for this. Uh, These ideas spread and it could come to any province that you're living in.
1: You know, and one thing that we have to talk about here is is a lot of times you have these tax pushers who who say that it's going to you know improve our health, make people healthier through this new tax. But one thing that we have to remember, and we have to look at experience from other countries and other jurisdictions. Well, the experience from these other countries show that these type of taxes, surprise, surprise, have little impact on people's health but here's what it does do it fattens government coffers so i think no surprise to our audience but let me just throw out a few examples here so let's look to our not just our immediate neighbors to the south but our self self neighbors in mexico well they put in a soda tax it was implemented back in 2014 and again the uh, the supposed objective what the what they told the people was that this soda tax would help fight obesity well at the beginning of the soda tax, you had the body mass index, which is a, which is one measure of obesity in 2014. It was at 27.4. Fast forward a few years after the soda tax was imposed in 2016, the body mass index was 27.6. So it barely changed at all, barely moved the needle. Here's what did change. The government revenue, $1.8 billion in revenue projected for this year from that soda tax. And it's not just in Mexico, we've seen similar results uh, for food taxes in Hungary, France and Denmark, uh, where it doesn't make very much of an impact on health, but does increase government coffers, which of course just means reduces the money that we all have in our pockets. Now back to Newfoundland and Labrador's proposal, It's going to apparently bring in $8.7 million, which means an $8.7 million hit to taxpayers.
0: Exactly. Uh, They don't see the results health-wise. And also, this won't affect Newfoundland so much because there's only so far you can go to go shopping in Newfoundland. Uh, But when it comes to certain jurisdictions having a sugar or a fat tax and others not, it creates a like a stampede of people of shoppers trying to avoid that tax. Uh, They saw that happen in downtown Seattle. They saw that happen on the east coast of the states there. I think it was around Philadelphia. They tried imposing a sugar tax just in the downtown core. And guess what? All the people with cars who could afford it fled out to the suburbs to do their shopping. And because of that, it actually impoverished the downtown urban core grocery stores Hmm. so much so that they had to shut down. So now those inner city people don't have a place to buy broccoli and they don't have a place to buy their soda pop. So again, when government gets involved with this sort of thing, it has unintended consequences that don't work out well. So what, what examples though in data do we have to explain why this doesn't affect consumption? What, what kind of numbers are we looking at here?
1: Well, the first thing that I think people just need to remember is just because you tax something not everyone is going to change their behavior right so not everyone is just because you you put a tax on Pepsi doesn't mean that everyone's just going to be reducing the amount of Pepsi that they buy, I mean in, in many instances what can happen is now people just have less money in their pockets. Uh, For other things, whether that be necessities or other types of discretionary spending. And and the second one, and I think this is the biggest issue right here, Simmer, is that a lot of times people just substitute the tax products for other non-tax products, right? So if there's a tax, let's say on Pepsi, well, people might buy less Pepsi, but then buy more chocolate. Well, in that case, are you really making people's lives any healthier?
0: Yeah and here's a really good example of why food snobbery pays a big role here. So let's take Mike. Mike is a truck driver. He works long hours and he buys a can of coke at his local gas station. Mike spends about a buck on his can of coke. He pays the sugar tax, okay? Then we have Monica. Monica lives in a mansion. She spends around six bucks on her super fancy mochaccino thing that she buys (laughs) at her local coffee shop, right? It actually has more sugar in it than Mike's can of Coke, but Monica, she ain't paying that on her Frappuccino. Why? Why is it that these so-called health pushers and these sugar taxers are always going after people in the drive-through lineups and buying their cans of Coke, but they're not going after fancier, richer people? Well, because frankly, it's easier to go after somebody in a drive-through buying a Double Down from KFC than it is to police the fancy people who are going to a French restaurant. Because actually, a KFC Double Down has very similar protein, fat, and calorie content compared to chicken cordon bleu. So you don't see the food police typically going after the fancy rich folks. You just see them going after uh, the easier target, and that is lower income people.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know that... You know, I hate that you said it, but you're, you're really right there. And um, also the research backs set up, which is, you know, it's, it's, really, it's really awful to kind of think about it this way, but public health in Quebec, they actually looked into this issue and they came to the same conclusion that if these taxes were to work, it's only because they mostly harm uh, poor people, people with lower incomes, because the rich folks out there, they can largely ignore them just with the, with, with the food choices that you just talked about. And, and similar, let me just talk a little bit about my experience and, and what I think is just a huge thing that most of these tax pushers completely ignore. And it's that government decree can't differentiate between what different types of people Uh, need to consume right it's we can't just have like this one size fits all mode to nutrition because well frankly different people need different things when it comes to their health now i am not a nutritionist i i I don't pretend to be but i have experience playing high level athletics including playing uh, for the university of calgary dinos baseball team and you, you know Many athletes need high levels of sugar to perform. Um, You know, right now I'm actually working with my own nutrition coach. And and one of the things that we talk about with weight loss or weight gain isn't so much how much sugar you're consuming or I'm consuming, um, but calories in, calories out. So, this whole slippery slope argument now comes to mind. If we're talking about using taxation to change health outcomes, well, what's next, you know, are we going to have bureaucrats starting to snoop around on people's, my fitness pal apps, you know, taxing us, if we have too many calories, right? This is, this is just how ridiculous this whole scheme is. You know, I don't need to be taking food advice from a bunch of government fat cats. Thank you very much. Um, And, you know, it just kind of reminds me, um, all of this really boils down to just another tax grab. And instead of look at these government bureaucrats looking at different ways to make life a little bit harder for Canadian families, what we really need to be seeing is our governments starting to go on diets.
0: Yeah, you nailed it there. And you really think about it, you don't really get much more personal than food and food choices, how you feed yourself, how you feed your family. And keep in mind that uh, diet suggestions change. Back in the 80s, there was a huge push against eggs, for example, and butter. People were pushing margarine, low-fat everything, low-fat yogurt. Now, like if you talk to a lot of nutritionists, they're pushing things like butter and meats and eggs as being good for you. And it's the high-carb stuff and low-fat stuff that's actually bad for you. So, Do you really want the government deciding right here and now who's allowed to eat what? And if they don't, they get taxed on it. Better leave that to folks uh, with their own decisions and their own choices to make. And also, again, back on this food snobbery issue, these folks who are making these decisions, the ones in Ottawa, the the health pushers and all that sort of stuff, typically the same ones who are building the Canada Food Guide year in and year out. Mm -hmm they're really happy to go after you or me and making sure that we don't buy our kids or our relatives like Happy Meal or something at McDonald's but they're sure as heck not going to be scraping olives and cheese off of their charcuterie boards when they're at their fancy parties in Ottawa. All right, time for our favorite part of the show. It is Waste Watch. So Franco, you've been swinging away lately on Trudeau's gun buyback or his gun grab. And you said that you have more for us on that. What? Yeah.
1: Well, pun intended, uh, it's really shooting fish in a barrel with this thing. I mean, Trudeau's gun ban and buyback really has all the makings of a huge taxpayer boondoggle. And, you know, our investigative journalist, James Wood, Jimbo, in my books, I mean, he's done a great job digging up a ton of government waste, and he's found another one turns out the federal government has already spent more than 2 million smackers and they haven't even bought a single gun yet now they spent that 2 million dollars on an office for 11 bureaucrats who are going to be providing you know design and direction for the program at least that's according to the government
0: okay so this is already costing too much money they haven't seized a single firearm yet they haven't bought back a single gun just freaking ad government. Okay, so with everything else going on, and this department just running under the radar, can you imagine how much money they're eventually going to waste? If they can already waste about $2 million without anybody noticing, just wait till they get rolling.
1: Yeah, and you know what's crazy is that uh, really nobody in the government has any idea how much this thing is actually going to cost. Uh, No idea at all, at least it hasn't been released to the public, and it's already nearly two years since the Trudeau Liberals' First, announced that they're going to implement this program. So, we're running up on nearly two years now, and still nobody within the government really has a clear idea on the total cost of this program. And the reason I say that is because, you know, we talked about this in the last deep dive, but the parliamentary budget officer, the government's own independent budget watchdog, they came out with a report, but they said they could only figure out the cost to actually reimburse the legal gun owners. They couldn't figure out all the costs for this whole program because the government just doesn't have those numbers.
0: You know, just for fun, I'm doing a bit of a thought experiment, I'm still trying to reckon out how they've already spent around $2 million on this thing, and I'm not surprised. I worked on Parliament Hill and there are are absurd spending, absurd spending happens up there. So, give you an example, they have their own framing department on Parliament Hill, you can sit there and look through a catalog and order the art that you want and then some hanger person shows up at the office and it's all very leveled out, they have to hang it specifically for you. It's one example. Um, They spend a lot of times wandering around watering house plants, like I'm not kidding. Uh, There's another person that delivers uh, Department of Heritage posters that are like out of date by a week. Like that happens all the time, like in every department everywhere on Parliament Hill. So I'm not surprised that they haven't done anything yet, but they've still managed to spend Around $2 million. So I got to wonder if the gun grab people in the future, are they going to get their own fancy private washroom too?
1: Well, and and the problem is here is that these costs <laughs> that are keep being reported to the public, us us taxpayers, I mean, it keeps going up. Remember the, I was talking about the Liberal government or the Liberal Party when they first announced this gun buyback. Uh, the platform said it was going to cost about 200 million dollars. Then you fast forward and you have the minister in charge of this file says, eh, it'll be somewhere between 300 and 400 million dollars. And then PBO, they just come out and they say, well, the cost just to reimburse, legal gun owners uh, could be up to $756 million. So we keep hearing that this program costs are going to go up and up and up and up, and not to be the bearer of even more bad news for taxpayers, but as we've already kind of said, that up to $756 million, that's just the cost to reimburse gun owners, right? But that doesn't count the most significant costs of this program, which could, could potentially be the cost to actually administer and staff this program. Um, now, fortunately, we, we do have the Fraser Institute, a think tank in Canada, they've, they've crunched some of the numbers. And they say when you add in the administration, when you add in the staffing, uh, the costs to this program could balloon up close to $5 billion, right? So it's a huge, huge potential chunk of money for us taxpayers. We saw in New Zealand, administration costs there for a similar type of program nearly doubled and simmer you know what this reminds me of don't you the old long gun registry boondoggle remember that back in the 90s taxpayers were told it was going to cost two million dollars well it ended up ballooning to over two billion dollars
0: times a thousand what's times a thousand between friends and government
1: All right, folks, that is the end of our show today. We hope you enjoyed it. But before we let you go, let's check out our social media mailbag. Simmer, what do you got?
0: We've got a really good one, actually. Uh, So we here at the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, of course, we are opposed to the crazy high gasoline taxes that we have to pay across Canada, including the carbon taxes. Out here in BC, we own the podium. Our gas price is over $1.70 a litre in Vancouver, and the tax is crazy. It's around 68 cents per litre of gasoline. That's just the taxes. So that's by far the highest in all of North America. When you fill up a minivan, it's more than 50 bucks just in the taxes, okay? So we did a radio debate on News Talk Radio 980 CKW in Vancouver saying, what the heck? This is way too much money, people can't afford this. Well, the other guy on the other side of the debate, he said that we need higher gas prices, higher gas taxes and higher carbon taxes. And if I didn't agree with him, I was a monster. All
1: right. I think that signals that it's now the end of the podcast. So dear listener, thank you so much for making it through the whole segment.
0: Thanks for listening. And of course, thanks to Grant for editing this show. Thanks to James Wood for helping us with this show as well. And remember, listeners, please share this podcast with your friends and enemies, because that is how we fight for taxpayers.
1: Hi, I'm Scott Hennig, president of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. If you've got another minute, I'd like to ask you to think about the one person you know that would really enjoy listening to this podcast. Do us a favour and do them a favour and send them a quick note to let them know about it. At the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we believe there is power in numbers. That's why we've worked so hard to build an army of taxpayers who are ready to push back. And we did it because people like you shared our work with that one person that they knew would really appreciate taking part. Thanks for listening. And thanks for doing your part to make Canada a better place.